Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, appreciate you guys coming on out. My name is John. I am the lead pastor. Today, we are in week two of this series that we are calling Not Today, Satan. And all month long, what we are doing is taking a look at temptation. What temptation is, how it impacts our lives, and most importantly, how God can equip us so that we can say, Not Today, Satan. Last week, if you were with us, I gave you a practical at the end. And I asked you guys if you would identify the problem areas in your life. To sort of sit down with a pen and paper and just jot down some obvious temptations and struggles that you kind of deal with. And hopefully you did that. If you didn't, you're, you're going to be okay. But what I want you to do with that list is to filter today's message through your top one or two temptations. Andrew, can I get a little less boom on me? <laughs> A little deep. Um, when it comes to our temptations, that list that you made, we got to remember that everybody's temptations look different. Looks different for everybody. It's not a one-size-fits-all. So what I struggle with might not be a problem for you at all. What you struggle with might be not an issue for me. Some of you might be tempted by alcohol. Some of you might be tempted to overspend. Others of you might be tempted by food. All of our temptations look different, but we're all tempted by something. So to kind of kick off today, what I want to do is dive back into our driving text for the series, something Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. He said this, so be careful, okay? When you think you're standing firm, you might fall. In other words, Paul would say, if you're here today and you would say, mm, this series doesn't really apply to me, you know? Like if you would say, temptation, I'll be honest with you, temptation's not really an issue in my life. I kind of got that like locked down. Paul would say, my friend, you are more vulnerable to the enemy than anybody else in this room because you have pride. And pride comes before the fall. He continues. He says, you are tempted in the same way all of the human beings are. And this is what we've been saying. Everybody struggles. Everyone's got temptations. They all look different. Now let me pause for a second because this is important what's going on here. I want you to think about to whom Paul is writing this letter. Who his original audience was. He's writing to Christians, right? He's writing to followers of Jesus. And that's important to understand because when you come to Christ, your temptations don't disappear. When you become a Christian, when you say yes to Jesus, your temptations, those struggles, they don't fade away. To be a Christian does not mean the absence of temptations. It means declaring war on the temptations that already exist. Now, the good news is you don't have to fight alone. Paul says that God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted any more than you can take, but when you are tempted, God will give you a way out, right? Then you'll be able to deal with what's going on in your life. This is why many of you are here today, because you have been gripped by something that just seems to have more power than your ability to resist. And so what I want to talk about today is how to resist temptation the specific steps that we can take so that we can say, not today, Satan. I want to start off by showing you how temptation can lead to sin. Remember, temptation in and of itself is not a sin, but it leads to sin. James, who's the brother of Jesus, says this. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. James, right here, has essentially outlined what I'll call the process of temptation, right? The steps that lead to sin. 
And these steps can take days or weeks or months or years or a matter of moments. So to make this a little easier to digest, I want to break it down into its parts. James says the first uh, step in temptation is always thought, okay? I'm bored. All right, I'm bored. Uh, it's 9 p.m. Wife's asleep. Nothing's on TV. I think I'll see what's on my phone, right? Imagination. You know, I saw something last week that uh, really got me excited. Justification. No big deal, right? I mean, everybody looks. That's why it's there. Oh, my wife doesn't know. It's not going to hurt her. Besides, my wife's not exactly meeting my needs. So, choice. I'm just going to look. www.porn.com. Loading, loading, loading. Sin. <laughs> gotcha. Nailed you, right? Where does it start? It always starts with a thought. And we got to recognize that what happens in those first critical moments of temptation are far more important than you could ever imagine. So how do we resist this? Okay? How do we fight our way out of this? i got a couple of thoughts for you today. James advises this. So then, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will run away from you. Now, if you've been around church any length of time, perhaps you've heard this before. You know, resist Satan and he will flee or run away, as this particular translation puts it. And if you're like me, you kind of think, well, that's your first step, right? If you resist the devil, if you fight back, you'll be good. But that is not what James says. James says before you resist anything, before you fight anything, your very first step is to submit yourselves to God. Now, why is that your first step? It's your first step because you as a human being are trying to fight the two most powerful forces in the world, Satan and your sinful heart. And you just don't have the strength to do that on your own. You need the help of Christ, which is why every temptation is an invitation to lean on and depend on Christ. So our first step is to submit to God. And you might be wondering, all right, well, how do you submit to God. When it comes to submitting to God, I would argue that there are what I'll call micro submissions, if you will, micro submissions and macro submissions. Now, a great example of a micro level submission might mean that for some of you here today, you need to acknowledge that what you're doing is wrong and sinful. And that's hard because we live in a society, we live in America of, uh, where we are, let's be honest, Master justifiers. Everybody else does it. It's just the way it is these days, right? I'm living my own truth, whatever we want to say. Listen, if you're doing anything that is inconsistent with God's word, then according to scripture, that's sinful behavior. As my old pastor would often say, now, continuing in sin won't keep you out of heaven, but it will keep heaven out of your life. Meaning, if you truly are a follower of Jesus, meaning you have given your heart to him, you are seeing the fruits of the Spirit in your life, you are, you are really a follower of Jesus, and yet you continue to persist in some sinful behavior, whatever that might be, but you know, that's not going to keep you out of heaven. Okay, Scripture says nothing can remove you from the hand of God, but it will keep heaven out of your life, meaning something's always going to feel off because that's going on in your life. 
So a macro, or sorry, a micro level submission might mean that you need to confess what's going on in your life to God. And I think James is, is referencing that to some degree. But I actually think James here is talking about macro level submissions. See, I think he's reminding us that we need to live a life of submission, which is a recognition that God is sovereign in this world. It's a recognition that God knows what you need better than you know what you need. It's a daily decision to say, Lord, I give you my everything. My heart, my mind, my soul, my strength. I give you my career. I give you my health. I give you my wealth. I give you my family. I mean, it's already yours. It's just on loan to me. It's already yours, but here I am faithfully submitting it back to you. I am inviting you into every aspect of my life. Another major aspect of living a fully submitted life is prayer. Daily prayer, hourly prayer, constant prayer, asking for God's guidance, asking for his protection, asking him to show you what his will is for your life, asking him to lead your steps, to lead you not into temptation, right, but deliver you from evil. Another major aspect of living the fully submitted life is meditating on God's word. Actually opening up the Bible and reading it. Or reading Jesus Calling. I love that. Or, or using the Bible recap. Maybe it's signing up for an email devotional from, you know, Rick Warren or Charles Stanley. Whatever, whatever works for you, figure it out and do it. But just make sure it's scripture-based. James is saying before you even think about resisting the devil, you need to be fully submitted to God. The best way to kind of visualize what I think James is is saying here. It's the picture like a Rocky Balboa training montage, okay? Like it may look like you're just reading the Bible in the morning. It looks like you're just praying. But from a supernatural perspective, you're punching slabs of beef in a freezer, okay? Now Rocky might be training to fight Apollo Creed, but your opponent is real. <laughs> Far more dangerous. Paul puts it like this. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Another translation says the devil's schemes, meaning he's going to come at you from every single angle. And Paul reminds us exactly who we're dealing with. He says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. You wish you were. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, Paul says, put on every piece of God's armor, meaning you got to be praying. You got to be reading his word. You got to be living that fully submitted life so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. James and Paul are saying the exact same thing. If you want a fighting chance at resisting the enemy, you need to be living a fully submitted life. So that's our first step, submit to God. Now it's time to get in the ring, right? Let's talk about what it looks like to resist the devil. How many times have you heard someone say, I just couldn't resist? How many times have you said it, right? I just couldn't resist. Now, generally, when we say something like that, it's always about something inconsequential, like, uh, you know, uh, having a piece of cake when you're trying to be good. Oh, I just couldn't say no. Fine, have the cake. It's not a big deal. But when Satan really shows up and rears his ugly head, and that temptation, and you know what it is, is coming at you 
apart. Often we later find ourselves saying, I just couldn't resist it. According to scripture, with Christ, you can resist it. With Christ, you can say no to that drink or to that drug or to that desire to cheat or that desire to spend. This does not mean it's going to be easy. This does not mean it's going to be some walk in the park, but God is faithful and he promises to always, always, always give you a way out of that temptation. James says, resist the devil and he will run away from you. Now, I want to make sure we understand what he's saying right here, okay? I want to make sure that our confidence is not misplaced. According to Jesus, Satan is the ruler of this world. I don't know if you knew that. According to scripture, it says Satan is the prince of this world. You knew that. So why is Satan, the prince of this world, going to run away from little old you? Come on, let's be honest. John tells us that Satan will run away from you because greater is he that is in you than he that's in this world. Satan's not scared of you. But if you're a Christian, he is scared of who lives inside of you. And so when Satan attacks, you're already expecting it. You've been training for this moment. You've been praying. You've been studying God's word. You've been punching slabs of beef, right? You are fully submitted to God in your life. So your confidence is not in yourself. No, your confidence is in Christ who lives inside of you. And so when Satan shows up with one of his temptations, you are able to stand firm and say, greater is he that is in me than he that's in this world. Let's pull it up for them. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in this world. Mary, is that working for you? There we go. And Satan will run away. I got a friend who's a pastor. And a few years back, he flew up to New York City to launch early stages, this sort of new uh, evangelism program. And he arrives in New York City. He doesn't know a soul there. He arrives in New York City to have this meeting, lands the plane, gets right on the subway. As he's sitting on that train, as he describes it, this ominous figure approaches him. Now, as someone who's from the Northeast, I can just let you know this was not a crazy person, okay? Which are on the side. This is not, this is, there was something distinctly dark about this individual. And this figure makes a beeline right to him, leans down, looks right into his face, and says, Leave town. And in that moment, this pastor knew that he was dealing with a satanic force. And I don't know how he thought of this, but he looked at this person right in their eyes. And I quote, and I confirmed it this week, he said, my boss is greater than your boss. In other words, greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. And with that simple yet powerful proclamation of truth, that entity, whatever it was, left. That's the power of Jesus' name. Now, I tell you this story not to scare you, but to give you like a real sense of your enemy because Christianity is not a playground, folks. It's a battleground. But God is faithful, and he will help you fight. So we want to submit to God. We want to resist the enemy. The next thing we want to do to resist temptation is actually to eliminate temptations when possible. Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived, according to Scripture, one day he was giving advice to his son. And he said this, son, do not step foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way 
of evildoers. Right? Son, don't even like dip your toe into the water. Don't even, don't even step foot on the path. And I picture his son like, yeah, dad, I get it. I get it. Great, fine. And Solomon's like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think you get it. Listen, listen, you listening? Okay, avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it. Go your own way. The advice that Solomon is giving his son is so unbelievably practical for us today. What he's saying is, why resist temptation tomorrow when you can eliminate it today? Why put yourself in a position where you know you're going to be tempted to sin when you can just avoid it in the first place? In other words, don't even dabble in something that might tempt you. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it. I can tell you what this looks like in my life. I, I can give you two clear examples of ways that I have been putting Solomon's advice into practice. Number one, the first thing I do, I don't watch medical shows. Okay? I'm, it's well established <laughs> that I am a hypochondriac diagnosed, okay? You know this. I don't hide this. It is what it is. So and so I know that if I watch shows like ER, it's not even on anymore, or Grey's Anatomy, as benign as that might be, or House, God forbid, okay, I'm toast. <laughs> That's a trigger for me. That's a problem. So I avoid it. I don't even travel on that, okay? When I see articles like the one that came out this week, here it is, the cancer symptoms you might spot at the dinner table and nine others you must know. First off, Terry Ann Williams, you must be a psychopath for writing this column. <laughs> okay? These things just find me. <laughs> All right? I do not read this article because this article is going to tempt me to worry. It's going to tempt me to worry about what I might have. It's going to tempt me to worry about what I might get. My imagination is going to start creating scenarios where I'm at a dinner table, you know, and my dad looks over me and goes, oh, I never noticed that goiter on your neck. <laughs> like, I know my weaknesses. I know where I'm tempted. And so I take Solomon's advice and I remove the temptation to worry. Because worry for me is a sin. He's ultimately... When I peel back the layers of worry, it's not about cancer. It's not about, you know, COVID or whatever. My worry is actually telling me that God isn't in charge. My worry is telling me that God isn't taking care of me, which is an absolute lie from the enemy. And so I eliminate the temptation before I even have to resist it. I don't step foot on that path. Another way that I sort of eliminate temptation for me, okay, I set rules for my social media feed. Now, one of the things that we forget about Facebook and Instagram is that it's called your feed, right, or your wall, meaning, I don't know if you know this, but you can custom tailor what you want to see. And just because someone is posting it does not mean you have to consume it. And there are two things that I see frequently on social media that really tempt me to get angry. And anger is a problem. I don't want that in my life. And those two things are politics and bragging. If anyone posts anything political, right, left or center, don't matter, block. I don't unfriend them, right? We're still friends, I'm not mad at them. I just mute it, right? Because it's my feed. And I wanna eliminate the temptation to get angry. If you brag, and by the way, social media is designed to help you brag. If you brag, block, not interested. <laughs> Politics and bragging, for whatever reason, rile me up, okay? And that anger, is gonna build in my heart, it's gonna spill over into my life, all right? I'm gonna start yelling in traffic, more than I already do, all right? I'm gonna get into shower arguments, more than, more than I already do, and my blood pressure will go up higher, 
and it already is. And so I cut off anger at the pass. You got to eliminate the temptation whenever possible. Like Solomon said, why put yourself in a position where you're going to be tempted to sin? So if maybe for you, you know, maybe for you, you need to remove alcohol from the house. Just get it out, okay? Maybe others of you, you got to block certain websites on your computer. Maybe some of you need to give your spouse complete and total access to your cell phone in order to keep you accountable. Now, you might think this is dumb, naive, whatever the case might be. But Jesus effectively tells us to do just this. He says, if your right eye is the reason you sin, take it out. Throw it away. If your right hand is the reason you sin, cut it off. Throw it away. Don't panic. Jesus is using hyperbole here. Okay, he's exaggerating just to get your attention so you don't tune out. He doesn't want you to actually lop off your hand, but he is saying exactly what we are talking about. Get rid of the temptation before you have to resist it. Do whatever you can, whenever you can, to eliminate the temptation and distance yourself from that sin. Let's go back to where it all started. Temptation starts with a thought. Sin starts with a thought. And the moment you see that thought pop into your head, take it to Jesus. Take that thought captive, as Paul recommends. And the reason you immediately take that thought to Jesus is because our high priest, that's Jesus, is not one who cannot feel sympathy for our weaknesses. No, on the contrary. We have a high priest who was tempted in every way that we are, but did not sin. Jesus is not up there in heaven going, oh, John tripped up again. No, he's up there going, okay, I'm here to help him out again. So instead of feeling shame or condemnation or guilt, we should feel hope because our God is faithful and he will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And he promises that when you are tempted, he will always, always, always give you a way so what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you heard. So over the course of my ministry career, there is one question that I get more than any other question. One question. And it's this. Is X a sin? Hey, John, let me ask you. Is uh, is this a sin? And whatever this is, is always very personal to that person's life. If you find yourself, perhaps right now, kind of asking this question in your own life, allow me to tell you what I always tell them. I say, okay, here's the truth. You ready? You're trying to get closer to sin, not closer to God. And that might sound harsh, but that is the truth. May I go back one more for them? That might sound harsh, but that is the truth. See, what we're trying to figure out is, where is that line in the sand? Because I want to know how close I can get to that line before I step over it into sin. That's, that's really what we're trying to figure out, because I want to get right up to the edge. I want to get as close as possible to sin, but I don't want to sin. Here's the question I want you to think about this week. What doors 
the temptation, are you keeping cracked open that need to be slammed shut? Last week, I, I challenged you to write down a list of temptations and struggles. And based on that list, what is going on in your life right now that's enabling you to give those temptations, whatever they might be, access to your heart? If alcohol is your struggle, just choose one, right? Is there any door in your life that you've kept cracked open that just allows that temptation to cause you to sin? Solomon would say, slam that door. Did you write down envy or greed, maybe anger or sin or spending? I don't know. Whatever. Is there an area in your life? Are there behaviors? Are there tendencies? Is there a friend group that somehow, some way is acting like an open door? And maybe it's cracked open just a little bit, but it's giving that temptation access to your heart. Truth is this. If you could have closed that door on your own, you already would have. But God is faithful. Ask him for help, and he will give you the strength to slam that door shut and say, not today, Satan. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, your word is clear. Each and every single one of us has an enemy, a real enemy, whose goal is to bring us down, to, to put us on the shelf, so to speak, so that we can't serve you and love others the way that you've asked us to, God. But God, you have promised not to leave us in this battle alone. In fact, you've empowered us by the power of the Holy Spirit that is inside of us, that same power that rose Jesus from the grave is inside each and every single one of us and will empower us to say, not today, Satan. And I pray that if there are folks in this room who are dealing with an open door that's cracked just this much, that keep leading us, to follow that temptation to sin, I pray that you would convict us and you would help us to slam that door shut so that we could be set free. God, as we go on this journey to better ourselves and to follow you more closely, Lord, I think the enemy's gonna come even harder at us. So God, I pray that you strengthen us today and in the upcoming weeks. Never leave us, God. Help us to fight this battle. And we will give you all of the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.